I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. All right, Mike. So, uh, whenever you want to get started. Oh, uh, before we do, yeah. uh, is, are there any ground rules that I should remember as far as format, um, language, nope. language anything is like fine. that? Okay. Nope. Um, basically the, the I, way we're doing, the- I managed to fuck that up on, um, arc reactions every single time because they, they don't swear, they don't swear on the show. Ooh. And so, you know, they don't want to have to edit all that stuff out. And so you got to remember not to swear. And I always do it at least once on every episode I've just guessed it on. Well, hopefully you make it count. So just like your one PG-13 fuck, you know, yeah. you just, right. it's in a good place. I kind of like when they, how they use the PG-13 fuck. <laughs> My favorite is when they use it uh, with an indignant old lady. <laughs> and it's usually saying it to a bad guy. Yeah, like, purse snatcher. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I was kind of shocked, um, cause I know that the same thing happens with say walking dead, walking dead has once per season, they can say fuck. Oh, kitty. Yeah. Most, most of the pictures I have are, what's actually funny about that is that sci-fi channel and USA have both said, we're not going to edit out fuck anymore. Hmm. We're just going to let it, li- let it lie there. Yeah. I think this may be the only good thing that the president does, which is it's okay to say <laughs> shithole on TV now. I have heard Anderson Cooper say shithole so oh, many times. And it's, it's amazing to watch them relish the yeah. fact that they get to curse. They get to curse. But I, I think what's fun is that because it seems to be optional on CNN, uh, you get to see who is and isn't willing to say shithole. <laughs> Not because they're allowed, uh, but I always have less respect for people who say s-hole. <laughs> I'm just fucking say it, man. Say it. You know you say it in private. Um, But yeah, the people who say it and say it often, um, Don Lemon and Anderson Cooper seem to enjoy saying it the most (laughs) because it's just like, no, you need to know exactly what he said. Right. But yeah, I think that in a weird way, we're, I don't don't know. There's, there's kind of two things I think that we are really worked up about as a culture that I think are stupid. One of them is profanity. The other one is nudity. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, because every one of us sees our own nude body every day, and it's like we're not horrified by that. Um, but it's just... What, it's, what is it like? It's the Jerry Seinfeld joke about hair. It's like if, uh, you know, if it's a hair on someone's head, you know, you touch it and pet it. But as soon as the hair leaves the head, it's disgusting. It's like the worst thing you could encounter, oh, right? Oh, God, It yeah. has, just has to do with that. It's, there's a hair on a thing? Yes, there's, it's, it's that thing. Like, when it's, when it's apart from you and something else, it's like, ah! Well, it's like you have spit in your mouth all the time, every day, but if you spit on something, you then don't want to touch that spit. Exactly. It's it's ridiculous. I was thinking about this in terms of how violence is portrayed in things, and the fact that since about 2001, uh, Marvel Comics has not allowed any of their characters to smoke. Yeah. No. Wolverine, mm. um, The Thing, Nick Fury, these guys always used to be chomping on down on big cigars. Right. That's not the case anymore. Uh, they're not allowed to smoke. Uh, they are allowed to eviscerate people on panel. Um, <laughs> that there was a, a DC Comics crossover event a few years back called Blackest Night, 
which is probably one of the most graphically violent main series things I had ever seen put out by a major company, where it was a bunch of zombies that they were literally fighting the living dead, and that they could, as their goal, rip out people's hearts and suck the emotions out of the heart. And they they showed it. They didn't just do the thing where you oh, get yeah. the silhouette, as you did in a lot of old comics. Um, or even the thing where you your hand with a knife goes down out of panel and the panel's just red. Right. We're like we're seeing some some heart rips here. This is like the sort of gore you usually only see in a zombie story. Like Marvel zombies. They exactly. were big about that. Yeah, but at least with that, it was kind of this off to the side sort of thing. Right. It wasn't a big major event that all the books tied into. Exactly. It was so weird the fact that we're doing this, but you know, you know, you can see somebody get their heart ripped out in a comic book that has Superman in it, but Superman could never say shit. Well, I don't think Superman would say shit. I don't think shit. Superman would say shit, but I think Lois Lane would say shit. Yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like we are in a time in our society right now where a lot of things that have previously been settled mm-hmm. are being brought up to be decided again. And I think that the whole Nazi thing is a part of that, but I think it also comes down to things like sex and violence. Um, cause I've, I've been watching altered carbon on Netflix, oh, yeah? which is a pretty good series. Uh, it took a, it took a few episodes to get started, but it started to win me over. Um, I didn't, I couldn't get past the second, uh, the second episode. The first two to three episodes are weak. I, you know, I watched the first two and I'm like, wow, I like this series better in the nineties when it was called tech war yeah. <laughs> with William Shatner or written by William Shatner. Right. William Shatner um, would be very happy to hear that. <laughs> but you know, I having gotten up to, I think I watched through episode six, episode six was great. And so I, I would give it another chance, give it no, another couple of I, episodes. I will. I like Richard K. Morgan's stuff. Uh, um, I like, I like the character too. Although it's hard. Joel Kinnaman is to me is kind of like Charlie Hunnam. He's kind of got a Charlie Hunnam problem where he's like he looks he looks like a pinup that motherfucker. Like his devotion to the gym is incredible. However, every character and he's the guy who played the RoboCop in the reboot. Joel Kinnaman. He was oh, only, does he play the main guy in, he, in Alter, Alter Carbon? Carbon. So he's so the character is Takeshi Takeshi Kovac. I don't even yes. it's Kovac. I thought it was Kovacs, but that's because I was reading it on the page. Um, and well, the, just like Walter Kovacs from. Watchmen, and they do. Right. I think they do call him Kovacs. So oh. I'm not sure which is correct. Just like they called Rachel Ghoul Razal Ghoul in the Batman movie. <laughs> I still don't know. I mean, that's it's the thing. Raish. Is it Raish? I, I believe that it's Raish, partially because Batman Beyond actually did an episode with him where Terry says Razal Ghoul. And this mm-hmm. is after Batman Begins came out, hmm. where he says Razal Ghul, and Batman is like, "No, it's Raish." <laughs> I thought <laughs> didn't didn't the Liam Neeson version wasn't he Raj? He, he was Raz. Yeah. Oh God! I, you think that maybe the, the Razal Ghul is so polite that he just doesn't say anything? This is like, did you guys ever see King of Kong? Mm-hmm. I know I haven't. There's um, it's a documentary that's a sort of a live action version of the Karate Kid, but with video games. Uh huh. And the the lead character, who's kind of a Charlie Brown type named Steve Wiebe, is vying for the Donkey Kong Championship against a guy who should be an 80s movie villain. who he, had the, or, or a pro wrestling heel. He basically yeah, he really is. And carries he just, himself like that. He is such a fucking prick, but that's, a, that's another story. <laughs> but um, there's a big section of the movie where the people at the championship mispronounce his name. They keep calling him Steve Wiebe. And he's too polite to say anything until the very end. 
Wow. So I wonder if that's how Reginald Ghoul is, is that he's just well, like... The, the thing is that like that's that's not just his name, it means the demon's head in Arabic. Mm. Like, oh, it, these are actual words that have meaning. It's just not a bunch of sounds. Well, it's it's the same it's the same thing in the American character that we always want to say that uh, the country is called Iran. Oh, the country is Iran. Iran. Yes. Iran, <laughs> Pakistan. Yeah. Like well, obviously there's like it's the same it's also this it's the crazy thing about being like they they're there are people there from uh, they're Italians or Italian dressing. I oh, believe well, they come from the country Italy. <laughs> well, it's just like all of about? the uh, conservative politicians after nine eleven who called him Usama. Usama. Usama bin Laden, not Osama. Usama. 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 Usama bin Laden. Well, I think what we have to try to and like I feel like they were intentionally saying it wrong. You think this is like an Archie Bunker Italians thing? I think so. Oh man. I think oh. that they were doing it on purpose to piss people off who might be like, no, it's this. And they're like, wow, I really don't give a fuck. Yeah, the, the funny thing with uh, the Rachel Ghoul character, I, I, I really... <laughs> he I comes do... from Italy, Italy, yes. Well, I, I think that they've never... They, they like to use him a lot because he's essentially a Bond villain. Yeah, pretty much. But I, I don't know how well he works with Batman most of the time. Because Batman seems to be like I'm a guy that I'm an urban vigilante based out of this specific city, and then occasionally I'm a jet setting globe trotting guy, but this guy is specifically a globe trotting guy who just keeps coming back to his city. So what's his if I'm igno- if I'm ignoring the the Raish Al Ghul from Batman Begins? Mm-hmm. What is he isn't actually the leader of a ninja yes he is, is. It, it is like actually a japanese ninja army. Not, not a japanese ninja army so much uh he is the head of the league of shadows an international ring of assassins for hire okay that he may or may not have founded okay yeah he wants to kill 90 something percent of the world's population to let the strong survive and the smart and the, and the, to uh preserve nature yeah because he feels that humans are too destructive and they've destroyed too much of the natural world and we well, need to cull the human population he's got my vote <laughs> <laughs> so he wants right. to, yeah it's all about culling the herd right. and uh he also wants batman to marry his daughter his, and and inherit his his organization because the whole thing is he uses the Lazarus pit to regenerate himself but you can only do it so many times like every time it works a little bit less and he goes a little bit crazier which is part of the reason why he's such an asshole like you get the impression that back when he was like a young man he actually had very noble intentions and just by preserving his life with the Lazarus pit over these many hundreds or thousands of years he has degenerated to the point where he's just like no fuck it kill everyone hmm. It's the only way. My favorite <laughs> um, story with him was probably in Grant Morrison's Justice League. Was it Grant Morrison or is it Mark Wade who finished it, followed it up? I forget which one, but the general idea was that... You're that, talking about the Tower of Babel. Yes. Yes, I believe that was Morrison. Morrison? Okay. So, I want to say, but the one where Rachel Ghoul takes all Batman's secret plans to take down the Justice League and puts them into effect. Because at this time in the comics, Batman was an asshole. I mean, like a real asshole to the point that in the aftermath, I think, of the Infinite Crisis crossover, they actually had Batman go away for a while and... For like a year. Yeah. And During 52, he went away to basically like purge his soul of all of his demons. And the idea is, I think that that was a, a in-story version of 
a discussion that writers and editors at Batman had had that there wasn't a single writer that turned Batman into a paranoid guy who spied on his friends and had plans to kill like Superman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern. But somewhere along the lines, he kind of organically turned into that. This guy who gets really angry at people who want to help him fight crime in his city. Get out of my city. <laughs> it's like, dude, I'm helping out. Do you want me to let that guy get mugged? And it's like, if you showed up in my city, which, by the way, he does with impunity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's really no, touchy I'll... about his stuff. Yeah, It's weird for somebody with so many sidekicks that Batman is like, no... I'm not going to work with you. You're not allowed to operate in my city. Go the fuck away. Oh, and by the way, I have a plan to kill you. Like one of my fa very favorite <laughs> things about Greg Wiseman's Young Justice animated series is that Batman is a great dad in that series. Like he's playing basketball with Dick Grayson. And like when Superman finds out that he has a clone and he's like, I want nothing to do with this thing because it's a perversion of all that's like good about me. Batman's like, no. This is a teenager who's alone in the world and has all these powers and you need to be there for him. Like you need to be a mentor, whether that's as a dad or not, like you need to take care of this kid because he's scared and he doesn't know what to do. Mm. That's it's like, wow, Batman is a great dad. It's, it's great when they remember that rather right? than the guy who's constantly firing his children. <laughs> right. And then, then they, they wander off and get killed immediately. That's yeah. how that tends to work. But yeah, I, I think the thing I liked about that story was it took Batman's plans and showed you how fucking horrible they were. By actually putting them into the thing, it was like a thing that gave the Flash like a super seizure, like he's in constant pain because his body keeps vibrating at like high speeds. And uh, I think when the thing is finally turned off, uh, the Flash asks how long he's been in that state. And Batman tells him like an hour. And he's like, I thought that was weeks. Uh, wow. it's, so that's what Batman was going to do to him. Oh, if, yeah. if for whatever reason, the Flash decided to rob a bank one day. Well, the, the thing is that that is the exact same plot from back in the 90s with the X-Men and the Xavier Protocols, mm. where he came up with exactly how he would take down and murder every single one of the X-Men in case anything ever happened. And it got used by Onslaught, who was a gestalt of Xavier and Magneto's personalities given form. And like that shit was fucking brutal. Yeah, that's and, why you got to have some good cybersecurity. Right, and for, like, Charles Xavier, like, Xavier has always had this, like, kind of casual brutality to him, where he's just like, oh, yeah, a bunch of stuff went wrong, and people found out what an asshole I am, so I'm just going to wipe all their memories. Um, And, like, that worked. Yeah, he's that. faked his death a number of times, including when his original students were still teenagers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, Xavier gives absolutely no fucks. He is 100% about the plan, and he will do anything necessary to enact the plan. See, so it made is... sense for him. For Batman, it was like, wow, Batman, that's dark even for you. Yeah, it was, I mean, it. the one I can sort of live with is the fact that Superman is the one who gave Batman a kryptonite ring and said, hey, if anything really goes bad or I get mind-controlled, I'd rather it was you. Because I trust right, you with but, this thing. But that's not how Batman took him down. No. It's just, it's cruel. And it's, it's like sick because it just comes across like Batman is, this is kind of a weird thing. I work a delivery job now mm -hmm. and I delivered to an adult family home recently. And the, uh, the person who ran the place didn't recognize me at first and went into great detail of how I would have been shot if I hadn't recognized me, including that kind of gun. And I'm like, please 
try not to sound so disappointed that you didn't shoot me. <laughs> I mean, that was there was a tone in the voice, and that's what this feels like. It feels like he's sad <laughs> that he can't get to try out these really cool plans that he spent so much time working on to take down Wonder Woman and the Flash and Martian Manhunter. And it's like, I really want people to see. It's like the Walter White problem, which is that you self-sabotage because you want everyone to see how clever you are. And it's it's crazy. It's crazy that this stuff kind of got to that level where Batman is this weird, misanthropic, angry guy who hates every other superhero, even though if they helped out once in a while, maybe Gotham City wouldn't be such a shithole. Yeah. Which well, I can say on CNN now. And I I would love, I, I talked about this on View from the Gutters, I would love that issue of Batman where it's all of Batman's days off where he has other members of the Justice League fill in as Batman. And so you see Hmm. Martian Manhunter as Batman, like going around to criminals and like organized crime figures and being like reading their mind and going, this is your name. This is where you live. These are all your family members. Like, I know who you are. I know where you are. I can stop you at any time. Do not fuck with me. Or just letting people casually shoot at him and phasing through the bullets. (laughs) Or the day that the Flash dresses up as Batman and stops every petty crime in the city at the same time. And people are like, oh my God, Batman is in every place at once. Like, I would love to see these stories of Batman and his friendship with all of the other League members where he's not being a paranoid asshole who holds everybody at arm's length. Now, is there something to be said for when we did our Batman panel, Mike had the idea is with Batman is that Batman needs to be in Gotham City because Gotham City is the setting that makes him look cool because if Batman is in another setting, he can lose a lot of his sort of mystique and his, the interest in it. So my question is about like, okay, so there's Gotham City and Batman is awesome in Gotham City. And then there's the Justice League, the entire world and the entire universe. That's very much to me, to my sake, waters down the awesomeness of Batman because yeah, well, then he has to become super astronaut Batman or he has to become the Bat God. He, yeah. there, there's the Batman that exists in Batman comic books who lives in Gotham City and beats up muggers. And then there's the Batman of the Justice League who has planned for every eventuality, including being transported to Apocalypse by himself with like also Superman and like knows exactly where he would go and what he would do to create a credible threat so that Darkseid has to let them go. So the, so the bad god is just like the best doomsday prepper ever. Well, he is has that, to be if he's yeah. going to be in a Justice League story, because if he's going to be thrown into a situation where you're fighting people that are going to challenge Batman and Wonder, or Superman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern, and you're the guy that's running around with a cape and smoke bombs, <laughs> you're just kind of feeling all of a sudden like, why the fuck am I here? At least Green Arrow has some explosives on the end of those things. Um, you've got to give him the ability to just be smarter and to outpredict everything, yeah. so that he's like a master planner. Like the the level of but doesn't, what I'm saying is, doesn't that break the character? Well, to you have, have to, to have him there. You, you have to compartmentalize him. Yes, exactly. Because mm. you know, in Batman's comic books, the like greatest level of fantasy that he deals with is like Clayface is a man who can shape shift. Or, like, Mr. Freeze has an ice gun, and he doesn't like it if he gets too warm. Like, it's kind of, it's it's up there a little bit, but it's not, like, time travelers and alien armadas and, you know, magic sorcerers and all the crazy-ass bullshit that the Justice League deals with every day. Like, so Batman have- should not be equipped to deal with those threats, but he is 
because he's one of the DC's marquee's ca- marquee characters, and so they have to throw him into the Justice League. Mm. Mm. So I think he he kind of ha- becomes a different character when he appears in different books. I agree. And suddenly he's a character who can get into a fight with Darkseid, and it seems kind of even. But then he also has to go back to Gotham City and be challenged by the Penguin. And you have to kind of find a way to square that circle, and I think a lot of fans just kind of go with it. That- which is, I mean, honestly, which is fine. It's an old character from a time when sort of storytelling in comic books was, let's just say, a little less streamlined, a little, uh, you know, than it is now. Uh, but, I mean, he's iconic, and so, therefore, DC is never going to be like, well, we're just, we're going to start, we're going to scale back the ba- Batman. They're, they're no, never going to scale back Batman. If they can sell four Batman books a month, they will print four Batman books a month, yeah. but only because they don't think that they could sell five. I think when they were right. rebooting the the sole line of comics they had with the New 52 in 2011, I think I actually looked at their opening line of books and a full, like, 18%. Six, 16 of 52 books were Batman or Batman-related. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you know, wow. Batman, Catwoman, Robin, Nightwing. Birds of Prey. You know, you right. include all the Gotham Bat Family titles. It was like 16 out of 52. That's crazy. He could probably operate as his own comic book company if you broke him off and just had Batman I books. I wouldn't be surprised. So there's a, a lot of fucking Batman. It turns out that, well, Batman's like drugs. You don't have to be a good salesman to sell Batman. <laughs> you just have to have the Batman. Pretty much. Yeah. It's it's pretty crazy, though. But I think that at the same time, they'd built up that master planner so much that it became absurd that there's a guy who's literally bulletproof and he seems more vulnerable than the guy who has a fancy rocket car. And is, has a really hard time dealing with the death of his folks. <laughs> and But yeah, I guess that's the thing, too, is Batman is a character that has to exist as a serialized character. So he's not allowed to have a certain amount of growth that would help him, say, get over the shit that's dealt with him in his life. That He's always going to have something that is going to yep. wreck it again. I think the best thing that they ever did to Batman was kill him and put his apprentice into the Batman role. And his biological son into the Robin role. Oh, yeah. Where it was very much this inversion where suddenly Dick Grayson is the smiling, happy-go-lucky Batman. And Damian Wayne is the grim, growling, gruff Robin. And that made for interesting stories that we hadn't seen before. And the second that Bruce Wayne came back, he was like, okay, back to the same old shit. You know, back to the same stories that we've been telling forever, because Batman must always be Batman. And we can't change that character or allow him to grow, which I think that they finally are to a certain extent. I mean, they're having him get married to Catwoman, and that's producing some interesting stories. I think DC is actually in a much better place now than they were even two, three years ago with yeah, this whole a... DC rebirth thing. I think they're finally on the right page. Well, there was a mandate for a while that their their heroes couldn't be married. Oh, yeah. That I know the Batwoman series had built up a long, long storyline that it was going to lead to her marrying her partner. And then DC was like, yeah, you're not going to do that. And 
of course, the, the reaction that people understandably had is that it was a, a question of homophobia, but it was turned out it was even more than that. I think DC just hated happiness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it was a far deeper, far harder to purse out thing. Well, what's funny is that there was a there was a quote from Dan DiDio that, you know, we can't have our characters get married because then they'd be too happy and they wouldn't have any dramatic conflict. And it's like, <laughs> Dan DiDio, have you ever been married? <laughs> I've never been married, but I can tell you that conflict, marriage is sure. not the land of like idyllic happiness and everybody getting along all the time especially if you're married to batman <laughs> right <laughs> or like uh they broke up aquaman's marriage to his queen his wife who is his queen no, she's still his queen but they weren't ever actually married she was just more like the queen consort and it's like a are you fucking high <laughs> b like they didn't even get, have them get divorced they were just quietly like no that never happened for the last 20 years or whatever it's been but then it's like, can you imagine anybody with a more tumultuous marriage than Aquaman? Yeah. <laughs> like, just the fact that he's both a king and a superhero, and this woman is his queen, and they're constantly dealing with political turmoil and the, like, whole Atlantean thing. And then, he like, he's spending a lot of time away from home because he's on the land doing superhero things. And he likes to fuck fish. Right. Like, there's a lot of room oh, wait, that's for not conflict fan- there. <laughs> that's, that's fan fiction. Within the context of a marriage. <laughs> yeah. And also... I mean, Superman has already bridged that divide, so I don't know that we have to have Aquaman doing that, too. What? I mean, he probably does. Fish? Yeah, Superman, one of his girlfriends, is a mermaid, Lori <laughs> oh, Lemiris. Oh, oh yeah. yeah uh, she... Canonically, one of the great loves of Superman, with, with a fish butt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love can overcome many things. I, it's so bizarre about it, too, was well, that... Well, there's, there's also a really fucking weird line from the Silver Age where Superman is talking to Supergirl... And he's like, you know, if we lived on Krypton, I would have totally married you because it's absolutely okay for cousins to marry on Krypton. <laughs> oh, don't even say that because it means you thought about it, Superman. But since we live here on Earth, that's never going to happen. With almost this like subtle like, man. Are we about to talk about Trump again? <laughs> because it sounds like this, we are. Does this Superman believe in moral relativism? Is that what this is? Oh, oh no! He planted a seed, and pretty soon it's. I mean, it, it Supergirl almost, doesn't want to be alone with it Clark almost anymore. Like, sounds like he's bringing it up to see what Supergirl's reaction to it is. It's like, well, you know, I mean, yeah, we do live on Earth, but I grew up on Krypton, so you know, whatever's clever. If she's clearly thinking about it, or Finger she goes you, and then he just laughs. Yeah, and then he's like, but of course we're on <laughs> Earth, and we can't possibly oh, ever do that. They <laughs> were so backwards on Krypton. Oh. <laughs> Oh, God. But yeah, apparently on Krypton, cousin marriage is okay. Well, that society did collapse. <laughs> well, their planet blew up. Their planet blew up, but... Uh, it really depends on your uh, which um, which interpretation or which version of Krypton you're talking about, whether they're like a decrepit and decaying society or whether they were just as vital and vibrant as anybody. You know, well, you know, I'm going to guess the decrepit one is where they were fucking their cousin. Some some people were just had might have just been theorized that uh, Krypton was doomed because of a lack of hospitality, right? That's why God turned everyone into pillars. Of, I mean, uh, oh, sorry, okay, different story. Wait, what is the hu- what is the hubris of Krypton? The hubris of Krypton is we overuse technology. Is that generally the through line for or every you, everything since, of disregard the John Byrne era? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. There's a disregard of an ecological disaster that you don't listen to somebody. I mean, in the original story, it's like, yeah, there's a race of humans that live on another planet that are like a million years more evolved than us. And randomly, their planet exploded. And that was it. Okay. Yeah. 
that a lot of the old classic ones, they were just kind of the Flash Gordon-y type guys. They sure. had like a, a, a hood with a, like a fin on the top and they had like a <laughs> picture of Saturn on their chest or something. Also, there was this weird assumption like before, I want to say like the 60s, that there were just humans in outer space. Like they grew on every planet. And so you like you go Makes sense. to another solar system and you land on a planet and there's a race of humans that live there. They did. They evolved there completely separately, but human is just the default for every planet in the universe. Yeah, we're not full of ourselves. Well, I mean, that sort of storytelling conceit makes sense if it's Star Trek and you you're not gonna oh make yeah. make for costume new costumes every week. It makes less sense when you're drawing a comic book and you can make whatever weird you know it got even, aliens you could imagine. It got even weirder on Star Trek because they'd go to a planet that not only had humans on it, but it would have the topography of Earth. It's like, okay, I get that maybe your planet looks like 1960s Earth, but why does your continent have a Florida? <laughs> That's the part that I don't get. And it it was really, really weird. And also never let um, your sociologist just leave a book on a planet with a bunch of people, <laughs> yeah. because that book is what they're all going to be. And it turns out that book has been like Roman legionnaires and Nazis. <laughs> so you just got to be careful about what you leave behind. Take nothing but photographs. Leave nothing but yeah. footprints. Pack your shit out. There's actually got to do. There was a. Um, God, I'm trying to remember which Marvel character it was now, but there was a recent Marvel story that was really good, where there was an alien race of scrolls that were all. Archie cosplayers. Oh. <laughs> like they'd gotten transmissions about Archie, like through space. And they thought that this was the coolest thing. And they're like, we're just going to set up an entire planet and everybody's just going to shape shift into the Archie characters. And this is going to be how we live our lives. And then, like, some of the scrolls went like 30 light years closer to Earth to get newer transmissions and brought them back and brought in like all this new canon and they were having a really hard time adapting to it and then one of the guys is like why can't we just make up our own canon and they started to have like fan wars oh it was pretty fucking sweet that's pretty great <laughs> what what did archie become great i don't know when this happened it happened so, slowly I mean, and silently mark, mark wade kind of came in and made it awesome for a little while there yeah i'm still liking the archie book i know chip zadarsky is I, writing I not been keeping up with it but the chips is zadarsky Jughead has been great. Oh, Jughead is a great character. Just you're you're going to have to unpack this for me. I don't even know why I should care about okay. Archie Comics. Well, Archie... Given that I grew up with Archie Comics and understood how mundane and Archie is kind of they are. like a lot of things that you grow up with, but when you really think about it, it's more of a sense of comforting familiarity than in any genuine affection that most people have. Everyone likes Archie in theory. But they don't really care about Archie until somebody makes some horrible change to Archie, and then it gets reported on in the news, and then they're offended. <laughs> but they don't care enough to read it. Um, which I, is, they changed the art style like ten years ago to something more realistic, and people flipped out, a and they changed a it back. Bit. Um, but I think to me, where Archie really started to get interesting is when they started doing two separate series, which were set like ten years in the future where Archie has married either Betty or Veronica. Those are good. And then you start to realize that there's one scientist character that is jumping between timelines <laughs> yeah. and doing weird shit. And then they started putting out, like, Sabrina, or, like, they put out an Archie horror book. Yeah, uh, after Where Life Sabrina brings Jughead's dog back to life, and it starts creating zombies. Yes. And, like, 
apparently somebody at Archie just decided, you know what, like we've done this same thing forever. Let's just start mixing it up. And the beautiful thing with it is it's played totally straight. There are parts of the Archie Afterlife with Archie, the zombie book, which are genuinely heart wrenching. And I think a lot of the fact that these characters feel so safe in our mind that they're people that bad things, truly bad things, never really happen to. So when you see them get mauled and it's treated completely seriously and not like, you know, a mad magazine type joke, it's just like, oh, my God, they just killed Mr. Weatherby. (laughs) He's dead in this story now. It's kind of kind of jarring it's it's really something that you are taken aback by and there's a moment in the arch afterlife with archie where it's from the perspective of archie's dog defending him from a zombie dog and it is heartbreaking because it's it's how much this dog clearly loves his human and how he's going to protect him and it's so it does not end well anything with a dog dying is Awful. Yeah. Oh, this is why John Wick killed all those people. (laughs) Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. In the darkest night. Who has the coolest gadget? Who has the tricked out ride?